Hey guys, Trevor here with Ride a Leaf, and today we're going to be testing out a new piece of content for y'all. We tried out the panel before, and this time we're going to be doing it in person at dispensaries. I've got two reps with me today, and you'll recognize Jordan from our previous panel. I'm very, very excited to be here, dive into cannabis-focused conversation, and just where the topics lead us once uh, we do get started. So that being said, I'm going to have each of the guests introduce themselves, the company they work for, their most impressed product, like the, com- the product or company they've been most impressed with lately, and the product or topic or just even portion of the industry they've been most disappointed in recently. So we'll leave it very open. You don't need to razz one company, but if you feel like one company's not doing good, you can razz them. We'll leave it pretty open to your interpretation there. So we'll start with Ashton beside me, and we'll go on down the table that way. Yeah, my name's Ashton. I, uh, I've been in the industry for a bit over two years now. I currently uh, rep for Ogen Cannabis, grown in Alberta. Um, my most impressive strain as of recent would be the Peach Chauffeur by Ogen. Um, and then something that kind of disappoints me about the industry is lack of testing regulations. All right, my name is Jessica. I work for Rubicon Organics. I've been with the company for about a year and a half now. Um, One thing that I really love about this company is just the quality and consistency. My favorite product would probably be High Society right now, the Biscotti Cross with Jet Fuel OG. Uh, One thing that kind of upsets me is just the lack of education still going around the cannabis industry today. I'm Jordan. I've been with Northern Lights for about four years now. Uh, Love to be a part of the industry every day. Uh, But for something that's been really impressive to me lately, I would have to say would be the, uh, actually the Lab Theory, their Apple Toffee Diamonds. I'm a big concentrates guy and that one was like mind-blowing. And then in terms of something that I think the industry could be doing better, that's something that's coming up in conversation more and more with clients would be something like a disclosure of total terpenes that are botanical and then that are actually originating from the cannabis plant. So we could see both those totals on the jar and then people could have a little bit more information about what they're actually partaking in. Yeah, those are all great points. And for me to follow up with my own, I would say the concentrate section as a whole in the industry has improved drastically in the last nine months, let alone year. Um, and then the the lack of lab regulations and education around the industry as a whole has been two of my biggest points. And that's really what I've been focusing on for my content. So you guys are absolutely on par with that. So out of those three issues now that you guys have heard each of yours, which one would you say is kind of the most predominant that we should dive into and kind of focus on fixing first? Well, I think kind of uh, if we improve education, that would be kind of improving everything across the board. Mm-hmm. If, if we kind of start with the bartenders, getting accurate information from the companies themselves, and then start, you know, being, you got to evangelize a little bit and get that info out there to the people so that they can make more informed decisions as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Customers drive the market, so if the bud tenders are educating their customers further, then the customers can drive the market where we would like to see it go. Exactly, and with Rubicon, we always say winning the bud tenders' hearts. Uh, so you want to win over those bud tenders' hearts, you know, get them all the information that they need to be successful and sell confidently to the uh, consumer. Oh, absolutely, and having that ability to confidently explain what a product is and what it isn't so either steering a consumer to that product or steering them away from it like being confident and steering a consumer away from a product is something i'm almost seeing as lacking in the industry almost as much as the other education because if you provide a bad suggestion or a bad guidance once how long does it take for you to have to regain the confidence and the trust in that consumer Exactly. And there's so many stores, right? So if you give improper education, that customer might go somewhere else, right? And that's not what you want. So Yeah, I think the credibility behind that is is a lot. Credibility is pretty much everything because, to her point, there are 500, 600 stores that you could be going to at any given time, right? 
Um, and really the two ways that I've seen customers purchase is either metric based, so they go look at THC Terpene's name or they get a bud tender suggestion. So if you have inaccurate suggesting, inaccurate education, then it only falls further down the line. It's like a domino effect. Well, that's, that's exactly it. You're always wanting to try and find that that middle ground to where you're providing the experience that the consumer is looking for, but you're also expanding their kind of their resource list of products that they can go after, right? And exposure to products that are similar to the ones that they're usually produce, um, uh, purchasing and utilizing, but have minor differences is one of the ways to do it. But if you go too far off of that boat, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's real hard to reel it back in and get them to have the trust, right? And then uh, from the producer perspective as well, I think consistency is key. Like, uh, for example, a simple fact like, uh, is the weed irradiated or not? You know, sometimes, you know, certain companies, I would say, you know, Rubicon or Ogen, you don't have to worry about, but there are other brands out there where you'll find out, oh, this batch was actually white labeled from somebody else and it did have to go through irradiation. So a brand you've been selling going, well, you don't have to worry about this one. It's not irradiated. All of a sudden that batch is, that customer trust is destroyed forever. They'll lose that brand. You'll lose that customer at your shop. And it's all just due to, well, do we have that up-to-date information about this lot? You know, sometimes that's the actual decision-making. Yeah, and that's where I can confidently say, like, I'm confident in what I sell because of the consistency. Uh, like, our THC and our terpenes don't go from one sky high to 35 to 25. It stays consistent. Um, so, yeah, I'm just super happy to be in this industry and show my passion toward the consumers as well. So. Oh, it's, and that's the thing is the consistency from the producer's side gives confidence in the consumer that anytime they come in and buy a product, they know that at least the experience is going to be similar. Yeah, there's going to be some THC variants, but realistically, if you're going from a 20 to a 24 from the same genetic grown by the same company, it it's going to be so minute of a difference if it's a regular consumption for you that it's it's that overall flavor the overall effect the le- longevity of the effect there's a lot more to it than just seeing a 23 consistently consistently or well, at this point 33 consistently on the jar right exactly yeah. yeah i think that's another thing like to your previous question uh, a big change could be like consistency or i guess rather transparency of who's growing it when it when it comes to white labeling and stuff like that because if you if you find one batch that was grown by x grower and another batch that was grown by y grower right you might really like x grower but not y grower even though it's under the same label yeah that is that's a huge point and there's and there's companies who do provide that information like i know ghost drops does a lot of um purchasing from smaller producers but they are at least giving some credit to the producer it would be nice to see a little bit of their logo on the bottom corner grown by give them a nod but i understand branding i understand marketing and you got to do what you can to, to put your brand out front but there's a lot of companies that are buying mass putting into bags and labeling it as their own yes yeah yeah and it gets confusing for, like, the retailer, too, right? Because there's over, what, 2,000 SKUs for you to choose from, so... And oftentimes in the catalog, we're making those decisions. Unless we have a great rep coming in and giving us the heads up, you know, based on a sentence, you know, here's the profile, maybe a little bit of information about the background, but, you know, more so marketing, like, it's a summer flavor. Like, what? You know, not exactly <laughs> great info to have to provide to your consumer, but... Yeah, yeah, the catalog could use some work. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the, the days are long gone of, oh, we'll just bring a case in and see if it'll move. Like For the first sure. three yeah. years, that's what, that's, well, the industry as a whole, because we were all trying to find the gem. Every company had a gem and then they'd have kind of a sour and then it'd be a gem and then like, and it's not so much that it's bad, it's just, it didn't compare. Now we're getting close to that five-year mark for a lot of the companies who started up in that first year. They've figured their stuff out. They've got the consistency. The jar appeals the same. The bud size is the same. The crystal formation on each genetic is consistent across. So that gives the customer consistency and comfortable being return purchasers of the same producer, not necessarily same product, but producers. 
Yeah. Well, and when it comes to, like consistency, and this is this falls again under education. Like with I, I can't speak to every brand, but with with Ogen, we we do pheno hunting, which allows for consistency because we're 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 isolating the best genetics and then pulling from the same mothers. Which, if customers were educated about that, they would know that they could come back and have the same experience six months a year later, without you know having that. Okay, I tried it today, and then two weeks from now, it's it's unrecognizable. Well, or just lot to lot, right? Yeah. Like, like you go and you get it, and the color's completely different, or the, it's like I, I'm fine with that variation on the market. There's nothing wrong with that, but at least label it, right? If you're gonna have that rotating pheno, label it a rotating pheno. Then na- have it one, two, three, four, because people are gonna find better effect and overall experiences from number two than number three. And four will give them a headache, and one and, right like there's there's that gamble that you play when you're buying products. The Cold Creek Kush, how how many people have used that as the example of variety on the market? It hit every category, <laughs> literally every category. Rotated through everything, Jean Guy, exactly. yeah, yeah. Don't you mean Jean Guy? <laughs> the genes genetic. Yeah. Uh, so with that right now, when it comes to the education, would you guys rather see education coming from dispensary to dispensary, a government fed, um, similar to an adapt, a readapted and adjusted and improved cell safe or somebody outside that's worked in the industry and done something working with kind of the dispensaries all? that are spread out throughout the country. Personally, I think the best model right now would be something like Canareps, the way that they're going about doing things. They're getting the education out there first in a somewhat, like in an unbiased way where you can just learn about cannabis. And like, I think if they adapted that model and got involved with getting more of that info out there directly, maybe even on a, just like a monthly video drop basis, Mm -hmm. I think those would be some of the best people to do that. Or even uh, Spiffy is really good. Because uh, that way we can upload our own material onto Spiffy. So it could be me in front of a store with a new drop. And then it actually has four questions at the end of the, v- the video for the uh, budender to go through and get quizzed on. Uh, and then us as retail or us as LPs, we can actually see what their score was and all of that. So I think that is a great outlet. But I also like just going into the stores, scheduling some time where we can do an open PK session with like a big TV and open table kind of style. So I think for me, I like doing it face-to-face. That way we can get better interaction um, because I find like Zoom, people lose interest after a little bit. Um, So that's not a really good way for me to go personally, but yeah, spiffy and just like in person where you get a room, get everybody in a managers, whoever in a room, whoever you can. Um, And then that way you have an open table discussion. (laughs) Um, To me, kind of similar to what it might, the point I touched on before, I think it, I mean, it's best of it. Like I said, the customers drive the market. So I think that there needs to be you know, you have great independents that are really excellent at educating their stores like Northern Lights here. And, you know, you have a lot of other, you know, massive stores that, that aren't taking the time or even educating their own staff. I think it comes a lot on, I mean, it, it, you can climb as many rings up the ladder as you want, whether you want to make the government force the retailers to educate their staff or wh- however you want to do it. But I think it really comes from the people at the top of these these bigger chains forcing education upon their staff to which then they can push on to the customer. Otherwise, the market's not going to go anywhere because they're not going to know any better. We have the most exposure, I believe, to the public just being with the the bud tender front in the store. The more, I think, that's it. As well as you get, like, the relationships built with your customers, they get more and more interested in the industry as a whole, not just about, like, what they're getting that day or what are trends, what's coming. So it's more in-depth than just, you know, what are you buying today? Okay, in and out. So you can have that whole conversation and then you really get that 
community aspect where it's easier to educate because you know it is a challenge too you know a lot of the time someone's in a rush they got to get what they want they're in they're out and you know if they even have time to say thanks you know that's the day but you know if you have the opportunity and there's someone that's willing I think that's where we really can engage them and I think it comes down to like what you're saying as well from the rep side of things like I feel like the face-to-face aspect of things is a lot more engaging there's a lot more room for like hey can I you know quickly question on that as opposed to your question just going into a wall of chat or like that that's kind of discouraging as well (laughs) yeah absolutely and like there's there's kind of the twofold of the education a lot of like what Jess was saying and a lot of what you were saying was more beneficial for getting like your product at an individual level across the bud tender and where I was coming from from the question was more generalized knowledge so that when the bud tenders are coming, they have kind of this uniform front of a baseline of knowledge, right? Like so that they're not asking, well, do you want a sativa or an indica? Instead, they're going, do you want something that's a little bit more of a cerebral uplift or do you want something that's a little bit more relaxing? Start asking directed questions. And if they aren't able to get the the answer that's as clear as they need, being able to readjust the way they're asking asking that question ask the consumer again and maybe get that answer that they need to be able to guide them there that's more where i was coming from and just an industry-wide approach because counter is taking that approach but they're i would say they're a little bit more product focused they are so focused on you need to sell the highest quality product at that price point which is a benefit but there needs to be a baseline before that so that you understand, well, how do I differentiate what a quality product is at that price point? How can I look at a bag and break down the information and go, yeah, this is probably going to give me a, an opportunity. So you can weed out the 50% of the products that just aren't even worth cracking a bag open for. Yeah, like for a majority of the public, if the best thing that we all rally behind is the best, public, uh, best product is cost maybe like a $50 eighth or something around that point the public isn't going to necessarily care. Um, It's going to come down to a point where it's a match of quality and affordability and marketing. It all plays in 100%. And being able to match if the $50 eighth is what that product needs, that consumer needs, being able to explain it and being able to explain why the price difference, why that extra $3 is going to go farther here, just having a little bit more tools in their chest when they're talking to a consumer. And that's kind of where that cu- that question was directed from because a lot of these bud tenders just, they, they have kind of one mindset and they follow that. As soon as that train gets derailed, it, uh, like they don't know how to kind of ask that next question to get it back in track or find a new track. How would we kind of, uh, it's more how are we going to approach that how are we going to solve that yeah i think it's more stuff like this where you know there's uh, that information approach to, like in a discussion like format and then getting more people on in tuned in to content like this that exists in the canadian market because being able to look up that information recreationally on youtube or like just get involved in the community where you're chatting about cannabis learning about it and it doesn't feel like work like this is already a very passion driven industry if that's not you know why you're here you won't last anyway um but the, the passion drives you to just constantly get better and learn and more so you will naturally seek out more people that want to do that and we're all stronger together i think the more people get involved in following content like this the, the better off the industry will be as well yeah shout out right as a leaf i appreciate it, you guys i really do and it's and like it's there's not one way to do this job at all and there's not one way to review the products. There's not one way to do any of this. It's just you've got to find more than just the one way that you're doing it. And it's and the the people who are in the industry who are trying to solve these problems, we're all in an echo chamber because we're all screaming at each other. How are we going to solve this problem? But we need to find a way to expand out into the people who are needing that information, needing that connection, needing that exposure to, there's more than just getting high. There's more than just the highest THC. There's more than just, there's just, we need to find that entry point for the general public to find the interest in it, right? And it's, how do we get that? How do we get, because if we can get the majority of the bud tenders intrigued, well, then we can get the majority of the public intrigued because they're, they're, if they can share that passion with one or two consumers, well, if it's five bud tenders at each store, 
two consumers, you got 10 at each store, how many of them are going to bring one friend in, all of a sudden you've got a booming industry of people that are passionate and educating each other. Yeah. Yeah, you see with the hot drops, all of a sudden, oh, so-and-so said they've got this here, and then all of a sudden you've got a crowd of people until that skew is gone. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, crazy how powerful word of mouth still is, you know, when it comes down to products like these where we're all, you know, still somewhat stigmatized, but it's like, no, you had a great experience with that? Where'd you get it? Awesome, I'm on the way. It can be as simple as that sometimes, too. Yeah. It, this industry with how regulated and restriction restricted promotion and advertising is like youtube being reps you've <laughs> i'm sure you guys have the battle stories i'm pretty yeah. sure i'm shadow banned right now but it's okay it's an uphill battle <laughs> yeah yeah you start seeing like the 10 20 follower accounts on your stories instead of like your massive following it's like yeah. okay something is yeah. going wrong here uh, go from 50 likes to 20 likes in like a day <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> signal my engagement you know like that's it too we're using these platforms for educational purposes and then being held back by the same platforms you know it's it's a real strange content battle that's the real uphill battle for me for me anyways because that's how i like getting all of our product drops and everything out to the consumers because it's not just people in the like industry it's customers on there too right so if i'm pumping out all this information and then i get taken down it's just it's it's a hassle <laughs> but i'm gonna keep doing it i'm gonna keep it on yeah exactly we can always start another account you can't stop it <laughs> and, and it's it's there's no hard drawn lines in the sands that we can follow right like if there's a hard line where it's like you cannot show finished bud i'm sure all of us could find ways to market around that you cannot show the THC stop sign. I'm sure we can all find ways to market around that. Give us our, our hard yeses and our hard noes. Then let us have our, our freedom with it and put, and of course, there's going to be people who toe the line and push it. I'm all for that, but we need to know where the line is to be able to push it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that, drawing like concrete lines in the sand. So, you know, removing the subjectivity out of things, even like... The amount of people that I or retailers that I speak to, and it's like one one inspector is one way, and the next inspector is a different way. It's like if there's no consistency, like how? Yeah, I don't know. It's frustrating. Well, it, it's like flavored papers for the first three years. Let's let's just let's throw that out there because I don't think a lot of people understood that battle. Northern Alberta, you would not see flavored papers. You come to the city, it's everywhere. It's every, like almost every dispensary has them. And it's like, we're just not going to pay the fines. And if the majority of the shops don't pay the fines, well, then I guess the inspectors just don't care. Well, yeah, it was a safety and numbers game. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it, we, we had just had to hear it, you know, uh, like damn near a thousand times. Uh, you know, I don't know why you guys don't, you know, XYZ shops, they all have them. It's like, I'm not going to let that pass me by again. So eventually you just, you don't get caught, you don't get fined, you keep doing it. And it's this strange, like real... Uh, gray space that we're in right now like personally here we haven't seen an inspector in about 18 months not that i'm eager to but it just gets to be confusing as to what's happening what the guidelines are uh you know that we've had some like overzealous ones where we've had to pull products off the shelves and then uh just to find for the next inspector that's not actually a rule or prohibited or whatever too so in between the inspectors they're not enforcing a strict guideline of like these are the rules so again you're left in this gray space of like well i hope i'm following the rules we want to follow the everything but you also want to stay competitive it's it makes me wonder have they has the line in the sand been drawn for them even have they been given their concrete yeses and nos because if they're if they're walking around with this subjectivity and this you know construed view of what what they're allowed to do from one to the next do they even know yeah, yeah, that, that's got to be it. Or is the line so far back that they're just defining what we can and can't do in their areas, right? Yeah, that could be down to like a regional Where problem. Yeah. We have way more li way more freedom than we think we do, but the inspectors as a whole just go, eh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? It's like, well, let's see what they'll do, and then you know, it's well, we've got this game now of it's better to try and rather than ask permission and be told no, like. 
there's uh, and then just between different provinces as well, like uh, being able to hold rajan squishing sessions in store and educate the product, the public about all those things. It's amazing you can do it in like private settings and whatnot now, but to be able to do that at shops like they do in other provinces and use that as a marketing tool for again like what can the true potential of cannabis really is. Uh, we're just missing out on that frontier as well due to legislation and no solid answers as to why, but they'll definitely tell you no. <laughs> And that's that's exactly it. There's so many opportunities for education because the thing is, you bring a rosin press in. You can go over THC content and the transition of THCA to THC to CBG. You can go over the transition of terpenes and the actual loss of volatile compounds through the heat and pressure that's being applied. Like, There's so many different levels that you could go into that education that would then relay back to the products that these consumers are buying and you can improve the overall quality that they're they're consuming even if it's staying in that $35 range because there's some killer products coming in at 35 bucks now yeah yeah it's basically like you can sell the vegetables but you can't teach people in store how to make the juice and it's very confusing that's that's exactly it here let's show you the the cleanest and healthiest concentrate that's on the market because in the sense of like natural clean products next to a hash rosin is the cleanest the only reason i would say next to is because you got to have a pump in there that can put a lot of pressure for you hash a hot wine bottle will do the trick for you (laughs) right it's a little more body Body weight weight. (laughs) (laughs) but that being the only difference is additional pressure and higher heat it's still a pretty pure natural concentrate that's available what goes into it well nothing you know it's just plant juice exactly but like so we're rolling out infused right now and like i spend i find like you know so we're, we're using um bubble hash and live rosin so no bho extraction nothing like that and i find half of my time is explaining to people the difference of what of what bho like nobody knows what a bho extraction is nobody knows what the difference between resin rosin how bubble hash is created they don't know like all these words all of these things like ice water hash it's just words to most of the people just just flour to hash rosin flour rosin versus hash rosin i'd like to see the majority of bud tenders accurately define the difference or even live versus cured like yeah and it's and it's little things like that goes right back to the education and like something like that i feel like when you're entering the industry that's one of the first things you should know 100 right yeah we're uh, still relying on educational tools like eric con on youtube where you know here's the different formats of concentrates and this is me maybe why you might want to avoid some of these ones that involve solvents and then you know a lot of the majority of the butt tenders that are coming in the door they have a, a knowledge of dabbing a knowledge of concentrates but when they come in the door they see everybody buying carts and shatter and whatnot and then okay that's what the industry is and there's a much more purest level depth of it that again you just understanding how the differences in things are made are going to make you decide which one you want to personally consume and I think if more people understood distillate or like how the kefa is made and stuff like that the sources of those products then we might see a shift in the trends just kind of along the lines of organic versus buying a bag of Oreos well and you'll see a transition in the edibles you'll see a transition in the oils you'll see a transition in everything because right like I I know there's a live rosin drink coming to Alberta right away. Sheesh, they've got a, a black cherry cola that's coming out. That's going to change up the drink game when you get enough people trying that and realizing how much better the experience is overall. Well, it's just like our rosin rolls, yeah. right? Like when we launched them, it started off slow, but now that people have tried them, and again, word of mouth, people try them, they experienced it. It's totally different than your normal distillate-infused pre-roll. Yeah. Like it actually tastes like cannabis. So, And it's single strain too, so we're not taking anything else and putting in there. We just press the hash rosin, it goes right into that pre-roll, and yeah, we're excited to bring even multi-pack soon because it's doing so well, so... Yeah, amazing product too. Yeah, and then and in the edible aspect, even now there's uh, rosin heads through uh, like weed me and whatnot. Those hash rosin chocolates and truffles. 
It's ridiculous when you have a difference of the input. I challenge anybody to grab three bags of distillate, uh, base gummies, three bags of the rosin head, hash rosin, give it a good like AM session, break, then PM session, and tell me which one hit you harder. It's, it's in, like, you can't, you can't even dispute it. <laughs> well, the, the difference is, is resin, rosin, distillate. Most of the time, you will see a removal and loss of the volatiles because you're isolating things. When you isolate, you're focusing on something. Now, live resin, we can almost put it as its own category because live resin is a very unique offering and experience on the market that shouldn't be considered the same as other BHO like Shatter and other products along those lines. And it's just because live resin, you're taking fresh frozen products and you're trying to capture the terpene and cannabinoid profile in that aspect so the way they're dealing with it and the way they're treating it is a little bit more sensitive than say shatter that gets blasted with butane and then purged and you the reason you have like pain shatter is because it's put onto a vacuum purged and the bubbles pop and that's what creates your hole in your shatter there's shatter slapped with butane and purged but it's thirty some dollars for a gram, exactly, and it's that's why it's easily available. Piece. Yeah, hundred percent. Easy to produce, but is it the highest quality? Is it protecting anything? Are you guaranteed it's a full purge? The legal market, I would lean more towards saying yes than any of the legacy. But that comment needs to be made because the amount of people who are purchasing legacy. I don't know. You see that symbiote crawl in the bottom of the banger on some of the shatter too. There's definitely some like particulate left over in there. I don't know. I call it the symbiote crawl, and you see this little black like thing just bubble up in the bottom of it that doesn't actually combust and it's left over in the banger that's common on a lot of the cheaper shatter out there and it's or the tackiness you get right where it's not a like if you smoke a good bong rip you get a resin tackiness sometimes you get that with like a live resin a rosin but some of the shatter it's a different style attack it's almost like what people were calling pine resin back when it, that was really hot and that scares you a little bit. Yeah, chatter that bounces. Those are the good old days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're definitely in a better place now being on the legal market, having these protections. But, yeah, it's crazy to have that experience on both sides of things and still remember, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I won't complain next time. <laughs> we can, but we'll keep it honest with a point out to it was worse at one point. Yes, exactly. I think a lot of people forget about the legacy market. Like, the people, like, you see, like, now, like, with the prices of some of these like ounces and like the white labeling costs and everything like how how you know you you, you see it and it's like there, there's 50 dollar quarters on the market which were street prices six years ago five years ago right and they are 10 times better than anything you were buying off the street back then right so i don't think people are really looking at it that way they're just which is fair enough like times evolved but if you do look at it with that value proposition in mind you're you're getting excellent excellent value well what a lot of consumers may not understand is when there's white labeling going on, these producers are selling their product at $3 to $4 a gram for you to be able to buy it at $8 or $9 a gram. The producers are not getting $9 a gram. They're seeing 3 to 4 a gram and then being taxed at right around a dollar a gram in Alberta is what it's at for excess. Like, it... At one point when they were expecting $10 a gram and it was a 10% excess, not so bad. But you drop that down to $4, it's now a 25% excess. It's a flat rate. That's not healthy for our industry. To anyone listening who doesn't know what white labeling is, it's essentially when a company buys flour wholesale from a different grower and puts it under their own label for the retail market. Yeah, So, and there's companies who have zero hands-on product and they bring it to market. They buy it from a whole, buy it from a grower. They bring it to a co-packaging company that then packages it for them and ships it to the distributor. So they are literally a no hands-on cannabis company. They have a handful of marketing and a sales agency. And I know as an LP, to get your like license to distribute is much easier than to get your license to grow. Yeah, and if you have a co-packaging, you don't even need a, a possession or a or a land. Um, a, uh, a, and it's not accommodation. I can't think of the word right now, but you don't need to have the land code adjusted for a cannabis facility because you're not processing cannabis. It's just, it's essentially a business. It's a B2B business. So 
you can set that up in at your house if you've got the room for your entire business. You can you don't need to have the changes because it's it's a online network business, which is insane that the majority of our products at one point were that. Like there was a time where it was 70%, I'd say confidently on the market that it was people who weren't growing their product, selling product. Based on your estimations, how has that changed? Like what's the percentage now? I would say that it depends on what location you go to. You go to your independents, you go to your shops that have a little bit more freedom with their ordering. You're going to see closer to a 50 to 60% dominance to producers that are actually growing their own products or marking the producers that are so like the ghost drops that are or Carmo when they're when they give credit to Maggi or any of their grower you see more of that you go to your can of cabanas your fire and flowers you're going to see nothing but the biggest the biggest and the the, the heaviest producers on the market as the primary why because they're going to get the best bang for the buck for buying on bulk there's data deals going on we need to accept that and see that that's part of the game yeah that's the uh, beauty of being an independent shop as well as like if we see like a hot product or there's a trend in the industry we don't have to go through 15 layers of corporate approval before we can bring that product in or okay let's reach out and get an established relationship first it's like well if it's a hot product and we know it's going to move we don't want to miss it let's get it in you know you have that ability whereas uh in your corporate shops they're going to have a little bit more restricted of i uh like catalog just because they're only going to bring in people that work with them to give them that advantage of getting that product in store whereas here you know it's uh, much more merit-based in your independent shops i'd say well and with you guys how likely are you to bring a product back in if it was just a bad lot or uh this genetic just didn't sell and just didn't sell here yeah well and that's it too you'll find right. that there's a product that someone's very enthusiastic about and you try it and objectively it's a good product but it just doesn't succeed in your particular market and that can be kind of confusing trying to figure out what the different factors are especially when you know like you're getting like evangelistic about it but saying like this is a great product you should try this this week uh but sometimes it just comes down to um more so like what they're familiar with and trying to overcome that objective well and and what i was coming at was like as an independent you're less likely to punish a producer for having a genetic that doesn't sell in your shop than a fire and flower can of cabana because you're gonna buy one case they're buying hundreds of cases if your new genetic doesn't sell are they gonna bring in your next new one well, that's it too. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's going to come down to like, well, your relationship with that rep, how strong that is and how much, you know, you really come down to like the honesty and if you can see the product ahead of time, that helps too. But most of the time, it's that relationship, 100%. And that's why sampling has been such a huge thing. That really leans like that carries into that really well because like, I mean, that, that takes a lot of that guessing work away. Yeah, that, that was exactly where I was going to try and bridge it over is how, how much is sampling going to help you make that con- just, yeah, I understand. Let's use the, the Oreos has been my example. Some people may love that genetic, but some may just hate it because of the terpene profile. How many people are going to buy that? Go, I got fucked. This is not, and then not want to buy anything else again. But then you go in and you show the next new batch. And it's like, oh, well, this is exactly what I want. Yes. Yeah. We did that. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, that has happened. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah and there's it. always room for improvement, right? Just because one thing goes sideways doesn't mean it's always going to go sideways. Uh, trust the process. Uh, we are an ever-changing industry. So, um, but yeah, the same thing still happened learning. with us. Yeah, the feedback piece, it's like, honestly, there was a, like a small issue, brought it up, and literally within the time that I brought it up, they're like, actually, we heard that. The issue's been addressed. Literally, the next case that we brought in, perfect. And the thing is, too, if we don't hear feedback, feedback is super important in this industry. If we don't hear it, we don't know. Absolutely. So positive, negative, anything that you guys got to give to us, give it to us, because that's going to make us better in the future. And with that being said, I feel like, I mean, we're in both a unique position where we probably get fed a lot of, like, smoke. You know what I mean? Like, people just don't want to give us honest feedback. Or maybe they had a customer that wasn't satisfied completely, right? And they said something, and they're just going to tell us it's great. If we're not given that honest feedback to then feed up the chain, nothing can change, right? It's all just going to end up being the same stuff, and then your concerns won't get addressed. Well, and if you guys have a negative comment and you have a possible solution... 
give the solution with the comment because you will be surprised at how often that is not something that came up in discussion and it all of a sudden is something that can be enacted. The amount of times where I've made a comment to a rep, well, hey, why haven't you guys just looked at doing it like this? Or do you know this company? They're doing it like this. Just reach out to them. They might be able to. And all of a sudden they blow up because it's the right match for them. There's so many different tacks that are being applied in this industry. Let people know what other ones are doing. You're not going to upset anybody. And if you do, you know who not to work with. Let's, let's just call it what it is. If somebody gets upset because you're going, hey, you, this, I think this would work for you. And they tell you to get bent. Well, no, you get bent. We're done talking to you. We're not bringing your products in. It's, it's easy to, to rule out the rats in the industry that way, right? Yeah, you can't have it all based on pride, 100%. It's got to be based on the, what's actually in the jar at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, and I see with retailers, like, I think the sampling thing is going to be biggest. Of course, for retailers, like, I look at it from their perspective where it's like, with an oversaturated industry like Alberta's, you know, customer retention is the biggest thing. So if they don't know what's actually in their jar that they're giving out, how they you know it's basically a lottery every single time it's a guessing game like okay perhaps the lp that packaged this i don't know what the flower looks like so therefore um i'm it's a guessing game i don't know what i'm giving out like and and so the customers could be unsatisfactory without any you know you it's not up to you that's it too. They, you'll get customers that'll come back with feedback like, oh, that just sucked. And you're trying to go like, well, what was it that you didn't like about it? I don't know. It didn't get me high. Or I don't know. I didn't like the way it tasted. And you're going like, okay, but like, you know, I'm trying to steer you towards something that you would like. So what's something that you like in the past? And sometimes it's just like strictly on there. So caught up in that negative past experience that they're just like, I don't know. I'll just get like pink kush because I've had it a million times. As opposed to like something that would actually truly like make them happy. See, and that's what I loved being a butt tender because if I sold somebody something and they say they didn't like it, didn't get them high, whatever the case may be, well, let's look at the terpenes. Let's direct you in a different way because maybe it was just a terpene that didn't sit well with you or, you know, there's so many, and just asking questions like, what are you doing when you get high? Are you going for a walk? Are you just barbecuing? Like, are you playing video games? Because I can give you an indica dominant hybrid that acts as a sativa and vice versa so it's about asking those open-ended questions to the consumers as well uh, like instead of indica sativa hybrid how are you looking to feel what's the plan for the afternoon or if they still can't answer that and you can break it down to like what flavor profile do you enjoy as opposed to like just sativa indica hybrid which one buy you know there's much more of a conversation to be had with every interaction well, those three categories, like, I mean, hybrid, you could probably break down 12 different ways, but sativa and indica, you can break down probably another six ways each, right? Like, it, it, yeah. Well, that's exactly it. We're cycling right back to that education of being able to go after the consumer and go, go after the consumer in the sense of asking the questions with kind of a direction in mind. I want to try and find this answer from you. So I'm going to ask these questions. Well, the, they're not providing the answer that I need, so I'm going to ask these questions. Oh, well, you're, this, okay, well, now we've got a step towards it. Let's go and building off your point, terpene that bothers somebody. My key example of this is people who have lavender sensitivity and people who have just issues with lavender because I personally ha- get really bad headaches if I'm in heavy lavender experience. Guess what? I smoke linalool heavy genetics. Headaches are present. It's funny how linalol and lavender are directly connected to one another. How many people in the industry aren't able to go and just ask that simple question? Do you have, like, does lemons to citrus bother you? Well, yeah. Like, if I, if I drink lemon in my water, it gives me a headache. Like, that, they're, because there are people who have that experience. They're hypersensitive. Well, then lemonine shouldn't be a terpene you consume. Exactly. Like all the concerns about people. It's, it's, I would say it's actually slowed down a bit, but we used to hear it quite common. Like every time I smoke weed, I get anxiety. Is there any kind of weed I can smoke that's not going to give me anxiety? Well, it's like, what have you been smoking? Okay, yeah, limonene, lemonine. You know, super energetic, really high energy terps. Uh, we will definitely avoid that for you, but then they have this like stigma to, or association that weed makes them feel that way. You get to break that for somebody. You've got like a, not even just a customer, you've got a, like a new body for life. They're going to, come looking for you well and how often do you hear it that sativas make me paranoid where it's not like a specific terpene that might like right it's sativas make me paranoid as a blanket and it's like no they don't i really don't think so (laughs) 
Oh, it's it, it's probably the the energetic experience that's making your mind go a million miles a minute. That's giving you the anxiety. So maybe we should add a little beta carefine in there. Maybe we should add a little linalol in there. Surprising enough, maybe <laughs> ease your way in with something more hybrid leaning, more indica leaning, or even just get a representation of low THC, two to one, one to one options on the market again. Where we see some 16 and 16, some 20s and 10s. And I feel like I'm getting asked more these days for lower potency. Like anything between 16 to like 20, I'm getting asked each and every day now. Yeah, like what do you have below 20? And it's it used to be, you know, like, uh, wow, don't you have anything that's over 20%? Um, but now we've created this market of THC, like uh, chasing and the inflation behind it. But now there's a, a, like a whole generation of people that are still curious about getting weed. And of course, we don't want to throw them into the deep end with your first experience. The, the quality, like 20%, well, of course, all the companies that were producing that have been forced to, you know, move what sells. So we're starting to see less and less in that range. But you can't fault them for it because, you know, you want your buddies to stay in business. <laughs> I, I'd almost argue that the best tasting genetics are between 16 and 23 for THC. I would like I would very predominantly argue that you're going to find the best overall tasting mouth coating heavy potent for consistency across every varietal every chemo type just better there now of course there's the standouts you can find the ones that hit the 30% or the 28s or the 29s of course it's not a set hard rule but I would say the majority 80 plus percent are probably in that THC range where you'll find a really good terpene profile. The volatiles are going to be well balanced. Right? Well, even like, something like the the Joy, their uh, CBD lemon haze flower, like seven to even under percent THC. The uh, the effect off that is way more than what you'd expect. The flavor profiles through the roof, and in terms of like the the CBD flower, it had the, some of the best trim, even compared to like the high quality, really expensive stuff. It was like, okay, kind of redefines your idea of what quality cannabis can be when you get a 7% that melts you for hours, you know? <laughs> oh, it's, the, the development of the products on the market is, is amazing to see. And the fact that we've got smaller producers popping up more consistently, that's helping kind of squeeze out the big boys that aren't putting out the quality and just... The amount of rebranding you're seeing from them is kind of showcasing the struggles, right? Like when you're seeing a transition from um, oh, back 40 into Parcel and all of these, it's like, have you blown the trust of the clientele so much that you are going to use the same bags, just a different name on it and try and sell the same quality? And we've seen that not work. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they try to get stinky, get think they're gonna get one pass on people, but the yeah, the truth always comes out in reality. Well, yeah, unless the price point's going down with the rebranding and it's a lower quality, lower cost it meets the value. Proposition. Be upfront about it. Yeah. Then, then, then you won't like. It, is anybody gonna complain if they get a lower quality flower than back forty, but they're saving twenty dollars on the ounce? Probably not. Well, you, dumbass, spend the extra 20 bucks, you would have got better quality. Well, and that's it. That would have been the majority of the people's response to that. <laughs> right? Exactly, yeah. You 100%. Have known like, better. If you're looking for that experience, you know, there's always quality and dollar associated with that, 100%. Well, and I think, once again, the common theme is education, right? Like, I don't think enough people look at, like, the parallels with, under, with other industries when they're shopping with cannabis. Like, when I was working retail, my favorite question to the people that were only, like, they wouldn't just look at anything under 30% THC is, like, why don't you only drink Everclear, right? Why, why you know, there's, for people that drink wines, right, there's a $300 bottle of wine and there's a $12 bottle of wine, right? Like, there's, there's difference in the craft and what goes into it. Sure, they might get you drunk the same-ish, but not really. Like, yes, you can get drunk if you want to just call a baseline drunk, but, like, it's going to be two completely different experiences and it's the exact same thing with cannabis uh, that's exactly that's and that's usually the question that you should ask do you just want to get high or do you want an experience because if they say they just want to get high at that point i've learned it's not even worth the effort to try and change their mindset because they're literally coming in for what they're going to get and the only thing you might do is save them a couple dollars by pointing out a cheaper product that's going to give them the same percentage the way I really see this changing is is 
bigger retailers putting education onto their staffs, which then can be put onto the customers. And it's got to be like a baseline, maybe even put out by the government, where it's like, okay, this is actually what we're going to define a terpene and is what it does, right? And then the customer starts to care. Because, I mean, like, to the wine example, how many people care about tannins? And I think a lot of, I think a lot of customers hear terpenes and they think, well, I don't care about tannins in my wine. Why should I care about it in, in terpenes in my flower? When it's like, this is what separates this, you know, if, if all that mattered was THC, a 20% indica and a 20% sativa would be the exact same thing. It's the terpenes that separate those. And customers need to understand that. Well, and it's not even just THC, it's the total cannabinoid profile. There's so much more to it, right? And and honestly, at this point, when it comes to terpenes with the lab interference with the THC, I'm hearing conversation around the terpenes that are the exact same thing, where companies are just paying to have more terpenes tested so that the numbers are higher. You test for more, you get a higher milligram percentage, so then you can bump your number up another percent or another two. Yeah. So it's five instead of four. And you're testing well, for 17 terps that are at 0.002% and then totaling that up and giving that as a reflection of your product. It gets to be very confusing to the consumer. I, and I would have no issue seeing 6%, but if I see you tested 280 different terps and then I see someone at 4% that tested 13 you know which one I'm going for. Well, and that, that ratio is way nicer on that thir- absolutely. 13 test. Well, and that comes down to like the the my original answer at the start of this podcast of like the consistency with the testing, right? Because a lot of people don't even like retailers don't understand that these labs are businesses. So if you're sending out one lot to four different labs, all three of them are showing you a twenty five percent result, and your brand new LP, and the fourth one shows you a thirty percent result. What are you going to see more velocity on, right? So then they're going to gain your business, and uh, you know it, it's all going to trickle down from there. Oh, exactly, and. And when it comes to that THC inflation, I, I've got this solution that I'm just going to keep pounding into the industry until something similar in, comes in. And I think all labs, every single test they do should be public access. The way that they are found is via the lot number and only the lot number. So you guys go and send your products in. You get the privacy and the protection of your new genetics coming because no one gets to know what it is. You just see the lot number. So if you've got EVO on there, who knows what that is, right? And then you go and you see, oh, it's Eddie Vader OG. Okay, well, that sounds great. But you don't see that until you've released it. But then that product comes to market. Somebody like me goes in, punches that lot number into, I would have no issues. The government of, of Canada's lab, lab, essentially lot or whatever you want to have it. You pull it up and it pulls up all the tests that were done for that. You go and you see that jar and it sits at 27.8. There's two tests that sat at 32, two tests at 25. Oh, 27. That, I, I can respect that company. They picked the middle ground. Here's the four lots that give you that range. Or you go in the jar and you see 23 to 30% range. You will get between that of your... I'd have no... I would rather see the jars transition to that where we get a batch. You get a 5% range of what the genetic could be because you're not getting what's being tested if companies are picking their bud and then that public testing the labs that are inflating or testing higher everyone will get to know what they are are they actively inflating to get the numbers that they want or is it just the way that they're processing the bud but should we if it's just the way the processing bud we shouldn't be penalizing that company we should just showcase that that way they protest process it gives us an extra three to five percent and that was a big shift like i think I mean, a lot of people have no idea about is with these testing labs, like when there was this big jump from like two years ago that the floor on THC was like 20% and like 23 and above was this magical high test. And now it's like 30, 33 and like people scoff at 27%. The flower hasn't changed that much. It's just the way they tested it. So it's based on grinding versus pulverization. When you, when you grind it much finer and pulverize it, you're going to get more of those cannabinoids activated and therefore it's going to always test higher. And it's not a raw number where they go in, they count the molecules, and they give you the percentage via the weight. It's a calculation. It's a calculation of estimated THC available in the product when you burn it. That sounds a lot like some guesswork. (laughs) So maybe the guesswork should have a range. Yeah. To keep it as guesswork, right? (laughs) We're not going to define guesswork as a a fact. the, The terpenes, we've got a little bit of a different conversation because it's a range of certain 
volatile compounds that fall within this range that you can identify, measure. Should we have percentage on there? Probably not. We should just be teaching people milligrams per gram that these are the numbers you want to see. Anything higher than this for this genetic, because just like terpenes, there's ranges, just like THC, there's ranges for each genetic, because 1.2% terps is slapped. And I've had other things at four that haven't tasted like anything. No, it's so, the metrics that we've given people too. Like alcohol, they only have the percentage to look at. THC percentage on the uh, cannabis side and terpene percentages. There's more metrics to define quality than that. Yeah. And alcohol is its percentage via volume. You can actually go in and say this is 60% alcohol per volume, right? Like I, the isopropyl alcohol is 99% iso. I hit that with a lighter, it is going to go up. It'll boil off the 1% of water that's floating around in there. The, car- the minor carrying agent, right? So it's, it's not the same. So why are we testing it and trying to educate people and, and use that labeling system as our differentiator when it's not the same? If we were seeing 30% of the bud weight was THC crystal, you have a, you have a point to then have that on the bag. But it's not that. It's a calculation of the compounds within the bud that's measured via lab, certain ways at one lab, certain ways. Like, yeah, there's no standard process. No, it's very no. frustrating for LPs too. Like for us, where we're consistent with our products, and then you see other LPs coming out with like 39%, and it's just like, what? Yeah. No. Uninfused 39%. Yeah. And I have to say, shout out to labs like High North that are policing it. That mm-hmm. they're, they're going and taking it amongst themselves, spending the money, publicizing it, and they're saying like, hey, look, like you guys can't be falsifying things that are at whatever, 40%. High, High North is, is usually the example I utilize because if they come across something killer, they post it. This was the hot test of the week. Why aren't we seeing that from everyone? Because guess what? The amount of scrutiny those tests go under because it's a hot test of the week, when they come out, everyone's like, yeah, that's legitimate. We're excited for this. And they've stopped doing it because it's it's no longer as impactful because 28.9 is no longer holy shit. When reality, it should be holy shit. A GMO cross at 28.9, oh, that's going to melt people. That was back when things somewhat had some legitimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. Uh, 100%. When you get the consumers that walk in the door that are even like, no, that's, there's no way you'll like, you'll see certain bags that are labeled 34, 36. I think 36 is the cap that we've seen in shop uh, reported on a bag, of course. But uh, you get the customers that look at that. And with anybody that's been smoking for like 10, 15 years, they'll automatically just know, I'm not going to buy that. You know, like even if it was truly an exceptional experience by having that inflated number on there they're going to stay away from it too that's a growing market as well mm-hmm. that's exactly it you're taking away the reliability you're taking away the consistency you're taking away the trust in the product right this, this conversation's just been cycling back to the same thing education and trust in the product which it's it, it's this type of kind of pound beating the same drum over and over again is going to affect the change in this industry because the bud tenders who aren't cued into this conversation they'll hear it once and then they'll start hearing it everywhere and then they'll take part in it and then they'll start advocating their own people into it and that's how this industry is going to change we got the terpene added because people started asking for it we've seen it happen too with things like like overnight cbn and cbg just became this huge thing right and i honestly like i think a big those those kind of got more widely adopted than terpenes did and i really think i mean they're they're cannabinoids so it sort of somewhat makes sense but i think the older generation kind of was really the ones pushing that they were the ones that adopted them in the first place well it was it it's it's the consumers that have the money to showcase that it was needed because as soon as it came out we couldn't keep them in stock and that is why they blew up because it's because it's it is quite literally the Redican ready example of the market. There is an interest for discretion, cigarette pre-rolls. Yeah. Oh, this burns fast, so you don't really taste the swag that's in the pre-roll. Let's, let's call it what it is. And it's super discreet, and it's convenient for the size of the package. You get 10 of them. And most people are point, smoking 0.35s at 17 to 16% when they were released. That's where their tolerance was at. They found a hole and they filled it. CBN and CBG gummies did the exact same thing, but they weren't they weren't monopolized by a singular brand because Redican got the roller and they hung on to that. 
like it it took what 18 months before you had consistent products from other companies that weren't using their roller on sale and Yeah, well, that's exactly it. And that's the thing is this industry is going to be still for until we hit about that 10 or 15 year mark where the true consistency and the long hauling companies who started in the first five years are going to have their, their hold. It's not kind of the, the steady players and everything's leveled out. It's You're going to see a lot of that, oh, there's a hole. Let's try this. Holy shit, there's demand. And then everyone follows. Everybody follows that has the money too. And it seems like it's a trend as well. Like, for example, when CBN and CBD first started hitting the edibles market, um, the source of the uh, secondary cannabinoids wasn't a big factor. And then all of a sudden, competition within that same marketplace started popping up, offering more different uh, CBD, CBN, CBG gummies, and it's a full spectrum source. And then all of a sudden, that other skew really stops slowing down, even if it's a dollar or two less. Uh, the quality comes kind of king out over time as well, but you've got like companies that are pumping out basically the just like water distillate CBD that's at 50 milligrams and it moves because it's the cheapest thing right now. That gets to be concerning as well because is that they're going to be their entire understanding of CBD oil, whereas they should have a full spectrum product that's actually containing some cannabis ingredients. Oh, it, teaching consumers that color in your oil is a good thing. Taste to your oil is a good thing, right? Like, if it makes you pucker up the first couple times you're using it because it tastes like cannabis, it's a good thing. You're getting more than just the isolated cannabinoids that you're looking for with some of the products, right? Night Night was a great product to introduce CBN on the market, but Meta Farms is the better company for the CBN oil on the long haul. It's a full extract. You get better from it. Right, but having that more affordable entry level price point is perfect, right? The the general mission disty infused, great for someone who wants to try that higher THC. But then you go, okay, do you want something that doesn't taste like you licked a lollipop? Here's some cannabis for you. And you go with your rosin rolls and your hash rolls and stuff along those lines. And that's really understanding where the customer, some customers value the flavor. They want it to taste like a lollipop and that's okay. You know, there's that space in the market for them, right? Like, but, but they, they should at least know what's out there and to know the differences. And we should try and find the live resins, live rosins. that can give them that experience. And yeah, those might be the tangerine dreams at the 12% from San Rafael or the 16% or 18% genetics that then get pressed into rosin because they're sitting at that 40-50%, but they're just a flavor explosion. Yeah, that's another use for that low-potency flower that's being overlooked. Low-potency, absolute flavor bomb flower, right? Like like the amount of hidden flavor genetics in there, right? Like I've, I've got some shiatsu kush seeds that are coming in, they're not supposed to test any higher than 23%, but it's supposed to taste like a rotting fish. I bet you there's demand for that on this market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like tuna kush, absolutely, right. man. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, like tuna kush is another good one. I don't think that one tests much higher than 25% for most people, unless you can get like a black diamond, black tuna kind of cross. But even then, you're finding more of that black diamond taste to it and less of the tuna. So, like there's the 1998 Bubba Kush, the 88 headband. Like we've got some crazy old school genetics that aren't going to test ridiculously high consistently, but the impact they would have when you smoke them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like Pennywise, another great CBD strain that could be utilized a lot more and then it is on the medical market, but not here. Yeah. Or just even the, the one-to-one, two-to-one crosses, right? Like you were saying, the... The joy with their their lemon CBD cross and the amount of genetics we can introduce consumers to where it's here, here's 12 and 24, right? If you could get a CBD high genetic with 12% THC on it, the medical support for 90% of us... (laughs) 
because that would be your like that's getting to your wheelchair weed there like your truest form with the THC wheelchair weed but we are just about at the hour so if you guys have any closing points any closing comments we can kind of hit on those touch on those otherwise we'll give you a chance to do a little bit of hyping for new product coming out new events you've got coming and we can wrap this one up so we'll start with Jordan and then we'll work our way back to me this time since we can't went the other way. Excellent. Yep. I just want to thank everybody for coming out for the 420 event that we've got going on today and uh, just have the uh, amazing experience of continuing to grow this cannabis community with the help of people like Trevor, getting them in the shop and getting all these wonderful people to come on the panel as well because, yeah, there's definitely some... Uh, social anxiety that comes with the experience but the more that we get through that the more people will have talking about it the better the industry will become absolutely the, the, the stigma is still real and the more conversation we have within the community and expanding that out to people outside of the community the better it'll get so absolutely true there man yeah, I just want to wish everybody a happy 420 and yeah, just life short, smoke good weed, ask all the questions, no question is a dumb question in this industry, we're all still learning, so yeah, I just hope everyone has a great 420 and looking forward to the next time. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us, um, yeah, happy 420 everyone, um, shout out Northern Lights for having us, uh, shout out Right of the Leaf for having us, um, be on the lookout for Ogen product, shop local. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you uh, coming and get doing this trial run with me for some new content because I definitely do feel these conversations are needed and they, they need to be shared out for the industry as a whole because there's just one point in here that can make a bud tender that much more engaged, reaching out to, right? Like it's there's one comment that's needed that gets somebody interested, and that's all I'm trying to do, trying to get people interested, find their niche in this market. So there's something out there for all you guys whether it's repping growing pressing doing distillation like there's so many different avenues and the more you learn about this industry the more you'll get access to those opportunities so don't ever stop asking questions always reach out to companies that you enjoy and you have questions for them or just comments to help them grow please reach out and just help connect this industry as a whole because we have so many opportunities to engage with one another with the events that are coming up and just the overall opening of this industry so please keep yourself active in the industry as a whole because that's the best way you can stay engaged and educated but that being said that's going to be the end of this i hope you've enjoyed and stay tuned because there will be more of this as well as the bud tender series and barrage sesh podcast coming out for you guys but for now cheers and we'll see you in the next one